everyone, it's David James Young here for another episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. Hope you are doing well, hope you are getting out to see a bunch of shows this weekend, and every other weekend for that matter. We don't have much to report here, so I'll just quickly get through the plugs before we get into today's episode. Our support for All My Friends Are In Bar Bands, as always, comes from Sad Girls Club, who are presenting Lionizer. Lionizer are a Perth alternative rock band, and they are here for the first time in nearly three years uh, doing an East Coast tour on the back of their second EP. It's called Be Alone, uh, and that is in stores and online now, so pick yourself up a copy if you haven't already. They are playing tonight at Jura Books in Petersham with Rachel Maria Cox, me, and Snape, uh, the awesome new project featuring members of Shaky Hands, Sweater Season, and of course, Yo Put That Bag Back On. Uh, really cool little mix bill. I'm stoked to be a part of it. Uh, first band, I think, is at seven, and it is $5 entry, so I would absolutely love to see you there. If you can't make that, the Queer and Now Festival is happening on Saturday at Jane's in Wollongong, and Lionizer are also playing that. And they finish up their quick run of dates here with a show at Drone in Newcastle, featuring former guest of the show, Mr. Spencer Scott. So please get along and check out Lionizer if you haven't yet had the chance. Uh, support for All My Friends Are In Bar Bands also comes from Spit The Dummy Records. You know all about their awesome new releases. They have a brand new EP out from Newcastle band Suburban Haze. It is called It Will Never Happen. And it features guest spots from people like Luke Monks from Gay Paris. And also the lead singer of Self Defense Family. And uh, yeah, it is very much worth your time if you're into uh, very interesting, very arty avant guard rock uh, from a place that normally doesn't really uh, present that sort of stuff so uh, definitely worth checking out head over to spitthedummyrecords.bigcartel.com and you can pick yourself up a copy of that Last but not least, support for all my friends' own bar bands comes from you guys. The Patreon is kicking along. I would uh, really, really appreciate some feedback, actually. I'm looking to kind of expand it a little bit more, and I'm not too sure where to go with it from here. So I'd love to get your feedback. What would you want out of throwing in a couple of bucks a month? That's right, for just a as little as a dollar a month is all I'm asking, and uh, you can help keep this podcast going online. Head over to Patreon, that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash barbands, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S. Our guest this week is Kobe Geddes. You might know Kobe from his time in the band Bagster, but you also might know him more recently from his work in the band Dividers. Dividers have just put together their debut album. It is called Clockwork, and it looks like it is going to be an absolute ripper. I caught up with Kobe uh, just the other weekend, and uh, they have just announced a massive tour, which will take them around the country and over to Japan for the very, very first time, which is super exciting and really cool, because Dividers are such a hard-working band. They're one of those bands that, even if you haven't gone out of your way to see them, you've probably seen them. They have been uh, really, really pushing themselves over the last 18 months or so, and it has absolutely paid off, so uh, really, really stoked to have Kobe on the 
the podcast. Next week will be a Sad by Sad West special. I'm going to give you all the info about this really cool mini festival that is happening across three days in Sydney uh, at Beat Disc Records, Black Wire Records, and at Hair by Tommy J. Yeah, three very uh, interesting places for shows and uh, a really, really cool bill of uh, musicians, artists and poets. I uh, look forward to sharing all of that with you, uh, featuring one of the bands on the bill, Carb on Carb, out of Auckland. Uh, A really, really lovely chat I had with them not too long ago uh, when they were last in the country opening for the Hotelier. So, got plenty of stuff to look forward to, of course. Hit us up on Twitter, BarBandsPod, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D. That's the same for Gmail, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D at gmail.com. If you want to get in contact, I'm at DJYWrites. You know the deal. You know where to find us. Click away, get involved any way that you can. Uh, tell people about the podcast if you haven't already. I would uh, really, really appreciate uh, kind of uh, spreading the word on this because I do put a lot of effort into this and I really, really enjoy making this podcast and I get so, so much out of your feedback and your response. So uh, if you're enjoying it, let someone know about it. All right, enough of that. Let's get on to today's podcast. Let's have a chat with the Riffmaster himself, Mr. Kobe Geddes. Hit it. David James Young and all my friends are in bar bands. Today, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Kobe Geddes. How you doing, buddy? I'm very well. How are you? I'm just swell. Uh, it's Sunday morning coming down, wishing we were stoned. Uh, we're out here at uh, Wilco in Cleve, and uh, you've had an interesting few days, yeah, <laughs> I might yeah. say so. I'm a little bit hungover, but I'm, uh, just, I'm, just a tad. I'm hanging in there. Coffee's sorted me out. Down in love with Glebe, my local... Welco Cafe. <laughs> things things could be a lot worse. Yeah, they love you here, right? Yeah, they know me. It's like cheers. <laughs> exactly, you're their norm. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think they're just trying to butter me up. <laughs> oh, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Why would it be any other way? <laughs> they probably they probably don't like that with every customer, but it just makes me feel special. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Now, I usually start these by talking about how I met the guest in question. And I'm fucking struggling trying to remember how the fuck it is that we met. I'm, I'm assuming it was through a uh, friend of the show, Mr. Mark Gibbons, but I just have no idea when or where it was. It would have been maybe two or three years yeah, ago. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I'm struggling to recall myself, but <laughs> I'm assuming it would have been a few boozy black wire nights <laughs> yep. um, yelling... Lincoln Lefevre lyrics into the there sky. There we go. That would have been something. It would have been along those lines. Um, but yeah, I think there was like, a, I think there was like a twelve-week period where there was just. I mean, there's always great shows at Black White, but I think yeah, there was yeah, a period yeah. where there was just absolute banging shows at Black White, yeah, like just back to back to back, back to yeah. back. Yeah, and I think that's where we kind of met and um, started hanging out. Yeah. yeah. 
It was good times. Developed uh, the, the, the budding bromance that we have to <laughs> yeah. this very day. It's like, God, this guy's hugging me for ages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, uh, what's, the, what's the phrase? Too close for comfort? Too close. <laughs> I, think, I think it was like, that guy's really nice. It's like, yeah, he does that with everyone. Okay. Oh, oh, again, just buttering you up. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they've, they've t- the Wilco's taken a page out of your book. I yeah, think. obviously, obviously. <laughs> they, they know all the DJY tricks, man. <laughs> Come on. The DJY handbook to lasting friendships. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, out on Penguin Books uh, <laughs> coming this summer. So pick yourself up a copy. Nice little plug there. Moving on. <laughs> uh, I Seamless. Wonder, yeah, I know, right? God, I'm killing this shit. Uh, so I want to know about how you originally became interested in music. Yeah, specifically, like, uh, to the point where it went from merely being a passing interest to something that you actively wanted to participate in, like you wanted to be playing music as well? It kind of was a natural progression for me. I mean, I think my, my old man was a singer from a young age of like, I don't know, maybe like five or six. He wanted me to get piano lessons, so I went to get piano lessons by this guy down the street. And, yeah. um, like, I had, a, I guess, a bit of a knack for it, and then... I did that for two years and then obviously in primary school and saw these kids playing like guitars and I saw that girls were paying them a bit more attention even though I didn't know that I liked girls at the time I was like well maybe I should do this guitar thing and um, funnily enough I think I um, I picked up a guitar and then I I took to that really quickly but I probably didn't start getting really into it until I um, I I broke my leg playing football in high school no shit yeah I was in hospital for like two weeks because there was some complications with the um, operation and Christ. my old man brought my guitar in and that was when I spent like literally probably two solid weeks doing nothing but play guitar. Wow. And um, I feel like that was where I really kind of like, was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do this, like fill my time, do something constructive when I've got nothing else on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then from that point, I went to high school in Strathfield and was, you know, always spending my lunch times in the music department and that's where I met Paul who uh, plays bass in Dividers and was the bass player in Bagster and uh, we became really close mates and we started playing Black Sabbath on the veranda of his house with our little 15 watt guitar amps pushed out into the veranda playing Paranoid to his neighbourhood that's pretty much that's probably the first live performance that we did actually (laughs) we were like just set up he had this really long balcony in his house and we were just up there just going <laughs> like and just blasting it until obviously his parents came upstairs and were like shut the fuck up <laughs> and um yeah from that point we just pretty much yeah started jamming together and we were in and out of different bands and yeah I mean it, it was just a natural progression it was never like a conscious thing of like oh let's do this it was like well we don't really have anything else to do yeah sure so let's do this yeah. so what was the first band the first band was Baxter uh, although I mean there was probably some rubbish bands that we were like tossing around in, in high school yeah I right <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the band we are in but we played we played um, a friend of ours wedding no sorry a friend of ours family wedding like it was someone getting married in this guy's family huh. and we had like four songs that we played that was that, probably our first ever show <laughs> and how old were you oh 15, 14. Bloody hell. Yeah. Outsourcing um, the wedding band at 15. Yeah. And now that I think about it, we probably need to chase up the invoice for that show. <laughs> like, guys, we need the money. Yeah. Um, so that was 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was probably... I mean, that, we thought we were 
hot shit that we sucked. Same with every high school band. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, then, but then Baxter was probably the next one where we were in this, you know, crazy scar punk phase. Yeah. Um, and how old were you then? 16. 16? 16, yeah. Bloody hell. And uh, we played our first show at the Green Square Hotel when we were 16. So we weren't supposed to be allowed to play. And uh, So how did you swing that one? We just didn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had, like, a set's worth of songs and we'd done an EP at Smoking and Joking Studios in Artarman of all places. Wow. Ironically, I, I work in Artarman now. Then they recorded the EP there and then, I mean, we had a website. We had a website. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's how old, I, I remember it was bagstreetonline.com.au. <laughs> how much you pay for that bad boy? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I can't even remember. I think I had, I had, a, I had a, a friend who was like good with computers in my school. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, I'll do your website for you. Yeah. And, um, and I think just through luck some bands might have heard some music and said oh, I just want to play this show yeah. and it turned out to be the Mad Dash the Lyrical Mad Men and on maybe Kamikaze Harry which was like a band that Val from the Steel City All Stars yeah. was the drummer of at the time right and so that was our first show I think that was the bill I'm not 100% sure on that but it was awesome Bloody and from that hell. point on we just had regular shows for the next Jesus like 10 years Right. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's less. I'm not sure. But yeah, that's how it all started. Shit. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, how did you originally get involved with those guys? Like, obviously, you knew Paul from from childhood. Like, were the rest just high school friends, or just friends of friends, or how did that kind of come about? We, we had a drummer um, who was in our year at high school, Derek, yeah. who I'm still friends with. Yeah. And then there was a horn player that was in the year below us at school, and there was. Uh, one of my best friends who's still my best friend to this day Will he was the first trumpet player yeah um, and then there was a sax player a girl we knew who, her name was Claire mm-hmm. so there was a three piece horn section two trumpets and a saxophone and then that eventually evolved into Tommy Tommy D who went on to play in um, the optionals for a while and a yep. bunch of other bands great musician yeah, good yeah. friend um, he joined um, on trombone and that's probably when it really started to get a bit serious he was really passionate about it and um, we rewrote a lot of material together and then Derek moved or that's right Derek went overseas or did something mm. and he had to leave and uh, Tommy was filling in on guitar for a band called Silence of Seven right. which was a Northern Beaches like skate punk band that Mitch was drumming in at the time and Tommy got into Mitch's ear saying oh look um I'm playing this other band like we've got this guy he's going to leave would you be interested in coming to have a jam and I think he was a bit disenchanted with how Silence of Seven was going sure and uh, he uh, came along to a rehearsal at Zen Studios at uh, St Peter's yeah yeah and that's when we met when I was 18 and that's what's that that's like 14 years ago (laughs) (laughs) and now we're still playing together in a different band so Mitch plays drums in Dividers now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Bloody hell. It's crazy. It's cra- now, now, now that I'm actually talking about it, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's a lot of time and a lot of... It's surprising that we haven't managed to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the, the first time that you guys uh, toured together. So, uh, oh, was, was that Was that something you guys just kind of booked yourselves? Or did you have, like, other friends on board and stuff like that? Like, uh... Our first tour was to Melbourne, mm-hmm. and it was in Bagstar, and it was with a band called 99% Fat, right? which is a great 
fantastic band. They are such a good band. Right. They were a ska punk band, but they were like just like a kind of Aussie pub rock band. Right. With a bit of ska influence that had like keys and like a three-piece horn section, and they were just the best band. Nice. And um, we were so lucky to make friends with those guys, and the the sax player of that band, Cam, who now plays in that um, the ska, the Melbourne Ska Orchestra now. Oh, he, right. He plays in that band now. And um, he put us up at his house, like with his parents, like his parents live there. And we're, like, we were young, right? Like we were yeah, like, sure. I think we would have been close to 18. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. we drove down. We did a lot of driving in those days. Like it was before you smartened up and thought, hang on, instead of being like awake for like 24 hours, maybe we should just book a flight. <laughs> so it was before we got smart and we just drove a lot. Um, but we played down there and we played um, the art house oh, sure, before it yeah. closed down. Um, and that became like a mainstay for us every time we went down and we played the art house the pony 2am slot shit dude that was our fucking bread and butter like we, we just didn't want to go to Melbourne unless we weren't playing that show yeah like it was so much fun like we would play a show at the art house and then we would pack the car mm. at midnight drive around the corner or drive into the city unload play pony get out of there at like 3.30 and then we'd drive back to Sydney yeah. Jesus Christ. When, now that I think about it, it was really dumb from a like, <laughs> just from a safety perspective. Like, we probably shouldn't have been doing that. We were exhausted. Yeah, but were you guys like driving in shifts or did one, only one of you have a license? There, no, there, there was a time when, um, and I remember this really clearly when I think everyone was drunk. Oh, and no. I, I, I was the only one that hadn't been drinking or I think I'd sobered up to the point where I could drive. Yes. And I drove the whole step back at like. 4 a.m. Oh my god! Yeah, dude. I mean, every, everyone sort of chucked in that effort at some point, but like, it was those times when you just had to like bite down on the mouth guard and just go, "I've got to put this one in for the team," you know? Like, <laughs> and you'd pull up and go up whatever time it was at midday in Sydney, like just hating life. But it was Shit. fun, man. It was wow. fun. Yeah. Oh man, that's rough. Those vans, man. <laughs> I remember, I remember, like, I remember a time, like, and this is probably a really gross admission when like we had to make we had to make good time to get somewhere and I think it was in Brisbane <laughs> oh, no. we were literally we couldn't stop right? right so there was literally like a beer jug that we'd stolen from a pub that like people were like pissing in so we could not stop because we had to make time <laughs> oh, it's gross right but it's oh. just like those kinds of horrendous things like people sleeping like under the installed seats of the van like it's just it's yeah. gross oh. I would not wish that on anyone like I always felt sorry for people that were like oh let me let me like come and have a look in the van it's like dude you don't want to do that no. it's like it's a cesspool of bad stink and fucking broken dreams <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun oh. it, was, it was fun I mean obviously like like you guys were at it for what like 10 years or something yeah. like that you said probably around that yeah yeah I don't know, we just got lucky in the sense that, like, I guess it's what we were kind of talking about before we started recording, in the sense yeah. that it was a time when you could actually foster a fan base, you sure. know, and it was a lot easier, um, there was more venues, and, like, there was a bit more community, mm. um, and I, which I think is coming back now, um, but it was just, it just seemed a lot easier back then to play gigs and word of mouth to spread, it was before, like, digital was such a huge part of sure. yeah, music. Sure, yeah, of course. Um, and now that that's happened, people... I mean, it's given a lot more access to bands for people, but in doing so, it's sort of splintered a lot of that sort of fan base. In a, and it's a good thing, but 
don't know, it's just a different time now in, in that sense. So I think we were at, in an advantageous position to, A, connect with those bands in the first place to play yeah. that show at the Green Square. Yeah, yeah. Because there was already an established group of people that were going to watch those bands. Yeah. So we plugged ourselves into that. And I think that, you know, we worked hard and that work ethic kind of, A, made us a better band, but also put us in front of more people mm. and became a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy from there. So at what point did things kind of... Uh run their course for, for Baxter was it kind of did things kind of come to a head or did you kind of realise that you were all interested in doing different things I mean like going from being a high school band at you know 16 or whatever to, you know like most bands don't last beyond graduation yeah. like the fact that you were able to keep it up for that entire time you know that's commendable in and unto itself but like uh yeah, what was what was kind of the turning point where things started to, to kind of fall away? I think there comes a time in most bands where <clears throat> you have to kind of stand back and go, is this fun anymore? Where it becomes about business and trying to progress instead of it being about music. Yeah. Um, and I think it just got hard and it just got tiring. We kind of reached a point where you kind of have to look at each other and just go... You know, are we doing this for the right reasons? Sure. Um, there was, you know, some arguments and differences of opinion. Tommy, Tommy actually left the band. You know, I mean, there was no real harboring of ill feeling, but like, I think he was just frustrated about how things weren't progressing. And yeah, sure. Um, and then we, Dave Berry, joined the band because we, we've actually reformed <laughs> recently. Yeah. Dave Berry and Tommy are actually playing together in the band. So. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, like, sure, you know, it just gets to a point where it's just not fun, and you just kind of have to say to each other, look, guys, like, this is just a drag, like, yeah. it's just stressful, and it's just not fun, like, we're, we've just lost sight of what it's all about, and I think yeah. that's kind of what happened, really. Was that hard for you? I mean, I, like, it's been such a huge part of your life for so long, you know, and you've been through everything with these people together. Yeah, I mean, of course it was hard, like, it was probably made easier by the fact that myself, Mitch and Paul had begun sort of being interested in different styles of music and wanting sure. to sort of play on as a three-piece. So we were like, let's let's keep playing music. Let's just see what comes out. I guess maybe a side pro- product of that conversation was that the whole ska punk bubble had probably burst and like, yeah. it just wasn't, it wasn't music we were really interested in anymore. Yeah, yeah. We weren't listening to it. Obviously, there's those romantic bands that we're always going to have a soft spot for, no matter sure, how old sure, we are. Yeah. But it just wasn't what we were into. Like we yeah. probably stopped listening to it when we were like 20. <laughs> but it just so happened we were in this established sort of ska punk band, and from there, I mean, Mitch's, Mitch's favorite band is Bad Religion. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Like, um, so it was definitely made easier by that fact. You know, we um, we still had something to say musically, but we didn't know what that was at that point so we just wanted to reverse and yeah. just go back to basics yeah. yeah so did Dividers start pretty much as soon as Bags split up or did you have any other stuff going like around the same time we oh, far out this is funny to talk about Bags to finished up and then me, Mitch and Paul were jamming and we didn't know what it was we didn't know what it was going to be yeah and we were like oh let's um like we were into like metal and like you know melodic stuff and making it really catchy and then it's like oh let's get another guitarist in so we ended up um, getting a guitarist in who was incredible he was a great guitarist yeah but I felt that he just I don't know I'm not going to say who it was but he was, okay. a, he was a great guitarist but I just felt he was a bad musician if that makes sense right. like technically proficient amazing yeah. but like 
just tacky ideas on what was cool and what sounded good and Is it anyone clashed I know? a bit. No, it's not. Damn it! No, <laughs> you know it's just really strange. You know, yeah. like on paper, again going back to what we were talking about. On paper, it all makes sense. It would have been perfect. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And so we did that for like probably six months, and I was just kind of like, I don't think this is working. Um, everything just sort of sounded like hair metal, and I was just like, this is not what this was about. And at that point, I think the band was called Mr. Vengeance at the time. I, I wanted to call it that because I saw um, an awesome film by. Uh, Chandler Park who directed an old boy called Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance right and I loved it and yeah. that's where the name came from but anyway um, yeah like there was a little bit of a blow up there I was just like look I'm not really feeling this guy and I, I, I'm sure I probably annoyed him as well because we were at loggerheads on a few things yeah um, and then yeah moved on from there we um, and of course the, the music had changed so much like it was like really rocky and I was just like eh, again not really feeling it we played a few shows we went through another name change and then we just sort of hit a stride where we were like look let's just keep it us let's just keep it the three piece the three piece works really well we know each other really well musically um, let's just write some cool shit and we'll figure out a way to make it work with one guitar because the music was really adventurous and sort of you know technical um, which is what we get a kick out of anyway yeah and so we ended up just managing to make that work and we wrote some songs we were happy with and we started gigging and um, that's where the, probably the first EP, well, the only EP, <laughs> was born out of. And that's yeah. where it became Dividers. Paul actually came up with a name. Paul came up with a name because um, there's a lag wagon song uh, called No Dividers or like Dividers or something like that. Yeah, right. And we really liked that song. He's like, let's just call it that. I was like, yeah, it works for me. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we, we used to like have so many arguments about naming things. Yeah. Oh, we can't call it that. Like, it's, it's lame, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Or someone would come up with a name and then people would be cool with it for a couple of days and then want to yeah. change it. But um, I was just like, fine, let's just do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and it's stuck ever since. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And yeah, you guys have been fairly busy of late. Yeah. Been, yeah, writing a bunch and, and, and playing a bunch of shows. How have you found the progression going from not a very clear idea of what you wanted to do to knowing you didn't want to do what bags you would do? Do you feel like you've kind of assumed like a proper identity now? Are you like fairly confident in like the kind of band that Dividers has become? It's funny that you say that because I was thinking about this like as I was coming down here. Yeah. Like, we didn't, and I think this is a logical step from what I was just talking about in the sense that we just wanted to play music. Yeah. And um, we weren't serious about it in the sense that Baxter was serious, in the sense that we wanted to promote ourselves and like, yeah. do all the things that hardworking bands do. We just wanted to play music, write songs, and play, play gigs. Yeah, sure. And then I think um, there came a time when we were playing shows and we started to get a positive reaction from people. Yeah. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, this is working. Um, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Again, not being serious, but we, we did the EP. Yeah. And then um, that was met positively. And then I think it got to a point where we were like, okay, well, let's sort of see what happens. Let's take it a bit more seriously. So we started promoting ourselves, played more shows, and then Nancy came into the picture. Nancy was like a huge fan, mm. first and foremost, yeah. and she was just like, you guys need a manager. Like, someone should be looking, <laughs> we're fucking hopeless. We're hopeless. <laughs> like, you know, when it comes down Did to Did Baxter ever have one? No. Tommy was instrumental in 
being that managerial sort of role. Yeah, and right. we, we were helped out a lot by um, Brad Moore, who runs Bombshells Inc. Ah, yes. He was very passionate about the band and helped us book a lot of shows and a lot of tours. He was awesome in that regard. Mm. Uh, but Divide, uh, Dividers never really had that. Mm. And um, we pretty much just did... You know, we, if, if we wanted to if we wanted to tour, we thought of it as like, oh, let's just go somewhere else and play a show. It wasn't like a tour. We weren't there to pr- like promote anything. Yeah, we yeah. just wanted to have a good time. Yeah, totally. And um, that was probably the first weekend trips. We called them trips, yeah. more so than tours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's when we got a couple of Melbourne fans. The, the, go, going back to the Nancy thing, she was just like, look, you guys have something here. Let me sort of take on this role for you guys. And we were like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And I think that when she came on board and started organising us a bit more, since she came on board, like that's when we've actually started to get a regular crowd to shows yeah, who are sure. like jazzed about the band. Yeah. Which has been really cool. Like the past 18 months has probably been the best 18 months we've had as a band. Yeah. Probably because of Nancy and just being organised and doing the simple things right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Nancy, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> she probably will be. I hope so. Yeah. Hi, Nancy. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's funny that you know, like you've made all these progressions, like with dividers, and simultaneously in that last eighteen months as well, um, Baxter got back together, yeah. and did did a, a bunch of reunion shows. Like, uh, was that kind of a weird thing? Like, once you you know kind of severed ties from everything, like concerning that, and then going back and revisiting all those songs and playing all those songs again. Oh, I, I loved it. I, I, I still I still love playing in the band. It was so much fun, and it still is. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of getting everyone back together like it was just like putting on an old pair of shoes sure like just so comfortable um, and we got an awesome trumpet player on board because um, Nick Manson who was the trumpet player for Bagster moved to Canada yeah. um, so and it was so cool because we got Paul in who plays trumpet in Bagster and a bunch of other bands yeah incredible musician yeah. so good and he came in and then we told Nick about it and Nick came back to play the first reunion show with Bagster so wow. it was incredible like it was just so surreal like it was like four horns it just sounded huge like, yeah everyone was like vibing on it and it's just nice like to, to, to have a band that you were in that people just have like a relationship with is really special like it was such a nice feeling yeah but it's almost that sentimental type band it's, it's, I, I don't think it's going to be um, something that we take on seriously to like mm. we won't go on a big tour or anything like no, that no, we'll no. probably just play like you know, a show here and there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, with, with dividers as well. Like, it's it's hard for us to juggle both if we were going to do anything more than us. Yeah. No, yeah. it makes sense. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing to have, really, you know, like, uh, having that very fond memory of, you know, the stuff that you got to do and kind of getting to revisit that every now and then. Like, having that door still open, yet still being able to progress, like, as a contemporary artist as well. Like, doing stuff that you're currently interested in and currently passionate about with dividers. Yeah. You know, like, Keeping both of those doors open. Well, I mean, also stylistically, like, Bags is a big, fun, silly band. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, we play, like, stadium horn rock, and, like, <laughs> there's, like, a bunch of dancing songs, you know? So, like, coming from a band like Dividers, which is really sort of, you know, intense and, like, you know, it's, it's not, a, it's not, we're not a silly, fun band in, yeah. in, that, in that regard. Like, we are personally, like on a personal level, but yeah. jumping into Bagster and like dancing around on stage for 45 minutes is great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Totally. So yeah. it's just, it's such a nice like contrast to what we usually do. Yeah. So that's what I got out of it and yeah. what I still get out of it. Yeah, perfect. Mm. 
Alright, so we'll wrap it up here, but before we do that, I ask this of all of my guests, and now it's your turn, my good man. Uh, you've been briefed on this, so you know what's coming. Uh, I want to know about the best and worst gigs that you've ever played, ever. So feel free to start on either or, and mm. the floor is yours. <laughs> worst gig? That is... There's been heaps. Of course it has. <laughs> oh, God, it's hard. This is really difficult. Oh, God. Okay, uh, we went to play in Brisbane at the last minute with Dividers. And we played at, um, <laughs> we played at this venue that was, like, at the airport or something. It was just outside the airport. I think it was called, like, it might have even been called the airport bar or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. And we rocked up. And the venue didn't know we were playing. The venue wasn't equipped to deal with a three-band bill. There was, like, a couple of, like, families there eating food. There was, like, all these, like, screens and this huge room. And it was probably the most abysmal show that we've ever played. In the sense that it was just... We had no business being there. We should have just called it and just not played. Like, there was, like, three punters there. Some kids running around in front of the bands. It was just... It was one of those gigs where you just look at each other and just go, what are we doing here? What are we doing, like, what, what are we doing here? Who booked that? Um, it was... Oh, look, I don't think it was anyone's fault, and I don't want to, like, smear anyone's name. It was just yeah. one of those things. Like, it was... It, it's, it's, you can laugh about it now, but at the yeah. time, it was just like... Oh, it was literally... It was, it was one of those shows where you could have... For all intents and purposes, you could have just gone, let's not do this. Yeah. Let's not do it's not worth it. But, you know, the show must go on. It was with Steel City All-Stars. Right. We just, last minute, it was like, well, let's go play in Brisbane. Again, weekend trip, not a tour. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we, yeah. Weren't, we weren't that bummed about it. We were just like, fuck it. Like, yeah. we'll just go up there and play. Yeah. And we played Crowbar the night before, which was okay. Yeah. And then this other one was just like, it was a, it was a train wreck. Oh, dude. Ouch. But that's probably one of the worst ones. There's so many more I could add to that. But one of the best ones, man, just recently, like, we played at um, Bruce Fest. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Seamus's yeah. little festival he puts on. Hi, Sherman, if you're listening. Yeah. Sherman. <laughs> my favourite guy. So good. He's my favourite guy. Oh, um, and we played, like, really early. We played second. Yeah. And, like, we probably had one of the biggest crowds of the day. Yeah, And, right. like, it was just fucking awesome. Like, it was just so good. And, like, that's almost like one of those moments as dividers where it was like okay we're at this point where people actually give a fuck about what we're doing and like they want to watch it just like regardless yeah. of and it was just a, 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 a qualifying moment for me like I was just like it's almost like okay I've got the, we've got the approval of this room yeah for them to come in and like you know what factory floors like as well yeah, like yeah. you've got to want to venture in there you don't even know when the bands are on yeah yeah so yeah. like they knew that we were starting at that time and they were like we're going inside to watch and like to me that was just a really nice moment yeah um, and you know I'm hoping the same thing happens when we uh, launch our album there in a, in a few weeks well not a few weeks it's coming up but uh, I'm pretty excited about that and I hope we get the same reception yeah fucking age yeah, yeah. Alright, well, uh, before we get out of here, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Well, yeah, I mean, mainly probably just the album that I'm talking about, yeah. Um, so, we've been, I mean, it's been a pipe dream for me, Paul and Mitch, and probably Bagster as well, from back in the day to release an album, and we're finally Wait, doing Bagster never released an album? We never released an album. Huh? We just released EPs. EPs, yeah. yeah. Um, 
and we've got an out we're finally releasing an album it's called Clockwork uh-huh. um, and it's got 11 songs on it uh-huh. and yeah we're really psyched about it and we're going to do a whole big tour on it uh, kicking off in May fantastic and um, yeah I'm really psyched about it we're really happy with it and yeah, it feels like we're getting serious. Yeah, nice. <laughs> it's like we're going, we're, we're, we're finally maturing and doing the album thing. Yeah, hey, where'd you record that? Um, it was recorded, um, it actually does have a bunch of songs on it that we have released previously. Right. Um, but it's basically got four songs that we recorded with Dan Antics at Death Wolf. Uh-huh. Uh, but we recorded those at Lock Up. Two brand new songs that no one's heard. Um, and then a bunch of songs off the Long Winter EP. So it's kind of like a a mongrel compilation of like all our stuff and uh, the artwork's been done by Adam Collins from Foxtrot down oh, in nice. Melbourne so yep. it's, uh, I've seen some early some early uh, drafts of it and it's yeah it's just gonna look really cool with it. Fucking it's a, just gonna nice to have thing you know like when I'm holding it it's just gonna feel really good sweet but a whole bunch of shows in the Japan leg is gonna be really yeah, fun that's yeah that's gonna be so amazing dude we're doing five shows in Japan off the back of the album um, we're playing with the Wilhelm Scream as part of the tour as well yeah 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 um so yeah, there's a lot of really fun stuff coming up, and uh, it's all sort of based around this album that we're putting together. I'm probably forgetting a bunch of important shit to talk about, <laughs> with, but um, I'm sure Nancy and Paul will give me a whole bunch of shit. About that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's all on our Facebook page. Uh, we'll be announcing um, the full run of shows soon, but uh, yeah, it's really exciting. That is fucking great, man. Kobe, thank you so so much, dude. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm David Jen John, and all my friends. This has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com.